Chapter 14 of What the Boys Did Over There by Henry Fox. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. My Service in Flanders, Part 2, by Sergeant A. Gibb. During our stay in the line at Kemmel Hill, after the crater fight, the winter started in real earnest. The snow and sleet was something awful. Nothing but wet feet all the time. Had it not been for our rum ration, we should have died from disease. A great number of our boys did die. Some of the boys in our working party who went up the line, while we were in billets, were drowned in the shell holes that were filled with water, or got trench feet and were sent to the hospital. During the Christmas of 1915, we were in the front line, and it was very cold. We had our Christmas dinner there, which consisted of our regular rations. But when we came to our billets again, after six days in the front line, we had a Christmas dinner which consisted of turkey, dressing, pudding, tea, and other nice things. I am sure all the boys enjoyed it to their heart's content. In fact, it was the best meal we had since arriving in Flanders. We also had our New Year's dinner out on the line, much to our joy. During Christmas and New Year's we had entertainments at the YMCA huts and a few movie shows. About two days after New Year's we went back into the line, also the mud and water. The rest of that winter was very uneventful. It was on June 21, 1916, that the Third Battle of Ypres started, our regiment being in the line at Kemmel Hill and our 3rd Canadian Division at Ypres. On the second of that month, Fritzy made his drive for Ypres. The battle started about 2 a.m. The Huns came over in massed formation and very strong in number, almost six to one of ours. All of the boys in my battalion were sitting on top of the trench, looking on at the attack. The noise from the big guns was dreadful also the machine-gun fire. The prettiest sight I ever saw was the star-shells bursting in the air. They were of colored red, white, and green, which was the Huns' SOS call. On the 4th of June, Fritzy managed to drive our boys from their position in that part of the line. Our 3rd Division put up a very strong fight, but they were outnumbered and could not hold. So the Huns advanced quite a bit and gained a lot of ground. The 48th Battalion was separated from the other battalions, and other regiments were in the same fix. That was the reason the Huns drove them back. On the 11th of June, our battalion, the 26th, was taken out of the line at Kemmel Hill and after a few hours' rest, started for the support line at Ypres, which was Bedford Farm. On arriving there, we stayed for two days, and on the twelfth of the next month, 
our famous Canadian Scottish, made an attack on Fritzy and succeeded in driving him back after very hard fighting and hand-to-hand -hand work. It was on the 14th that our battalion, accompanied by others, moved up to relieve the tired-out Scotties who were tattered and torn. They came straggling back, but not in the same strength as when they went into the conflict. They had a great number killed, wounded, and missing. As our battalion moved up the road leading to the trenches under heavy shell fire, we lost two hundred men, killed and wounded. As we moved along, we could see our chums falling. That made us more eager to get at the Hun. On arriving in the front line late that evening, I was detailed off as a battalion runner, and, of course, it was very interesting work. I was to report at battalion headquarters, which was about three-quarters of a mile behind the line. After great difficulty, I found myself at that point and reported myself to the sergeant major. A short time after, I was ordered to take a battalion into the trenches at Hoog, and after great difficulty going over the shell-torn ground, I landed the regiment safe at their port. On the following morning at 9 a.m., I received another order to take a dispatch to every boy in my battalion. Of course, there is always two men who go with the dispatch. The idea of that is in case one man gets wounded, the other can look after his wounds and carry on with his orders. My partner and I started out from battalion headquarters and going up the communication trench, found it all blown to pieces, so we decided to take to the open. On arriving at a company, we delivered the dispatch and went on to the next company. It was very uneventful, but it took us from 9 a.m. one day until 4 a.m. the following morning to get back. On our way back, we arrived at a company in time to get a little party out to headquarters, but at the same time Fritzy started shelling us very heavily, so we took different routes. About fifty yards from the front line, my pal got a bullet in the back which brought him down. I dressed his wound, then carried him for a distance of about fifty or sixty yards. I then laid him down so I could get a rest and straighten myself up but when I picked him up again, he was dead. I continued the rest of my journey alone, but before long I got hit myself in both legs. I dressed them and crawled to headquarters, delivered the dispatch, then fell into a fainting spell. When I came to, I found myself in a hospital in Boulogne. Canada's casualties in the war up to eleven days before the capture of Mons on the final morning of the conflict totaled 211,358 men. These classified as follows. Killed in action, 34,877. Died of wounds, 15,457. Wounded and presumed dead, 
52,779. Missing in action and known prisoners of war, 8,245. Canada's losses have been very great and she has fought very bravely for a just cause, the freedom of the world and everlasting peace. End of chapter 14